Well, good morning. Welcome to Grace and Peace. If this is your first time here, I am Vince Hoppy. I'm the pastor. It is a pleasure to have you join us. Uh, I would like to meet you and say hi afterward. We are starting a new sermon series this week called Kind of Kind of Christian, The Appeal and Failure of Moralism. Uh, so, and this is a study out of the book of Colossians. And the reason why this story is, uh, why this book, why this letter is written to the, the people of Colossae is because he is dealing with something that is sneaky and, and easily creeps into our churches and into our minds, into our day-to-day life, and that is moralism. Uh, now, you know, maybe, you know, so, so these people, they had received the true gospel, but they're tempted to go away. And Christianity is easily confused with moralism, and therefore, because it's easily confused, it is also easily rejected by many people. You see, if at the base you believe that Christianity just exists to make you a good person, you actually don't need Christianity, you just need to be a good person, right? You can, you can easily reject Christianity, there's nothing gray or anything about it, you just do whatever it is you do to make you, know, make you a good person. As long as you don't kill anybody or steal anything or run over a squirrel down the road, you're a decent person, God will accept me. And that's the basics of moralism. So people would read the Bible and say, say hey, look, all these stories are there just to make you into a good person. But that is what Paul is warning them against. It's not about just being a good person. And what this reminds me of is this great mystery series that I used to watch as a little kid. I used to pour myself this bowl of life cereal, uh, the cinnamon kind. I I like that a lot better. And I would pour some milk in it, sit down because my parents or my mom was already working and my dad was sleeping. And I would sit down and I would watch Scooby-Doo. Great mystery series, and what ended up happening, every time there was something afoot, people would call in, you know, the mystery machine, they'd drive over there, and they'd like, start investigating, and of course, Scooby-Doo was with them, and as they were investigating, there was something amiss, something wrong, something's fooling the people, something is fooling the people, and in the end, there's this great reveal, usually, and in this great reveal, there is, it turns out, it's a masked man, You know, what you thought was really a ghost was actually someone that you've met early in the story. And so here's the deal with Colossians. This masked man, this scepter, or the reason why Paul is writing it is because these people are about to be fooled or tricked. And what does he want to do? He wants to pull the mask off and to show you it was just a crinkly old person from the beginning that was fooling you. It isn't anything new. It isn't anything great. What he's trying to say is this. Every time you remove the mask of some sort of new teaching newfangled religion, new way of being Christian, what you find is the crinkly specter of nothing more than moralism. It's just moralism. And so scholars, when they ask, why was this book written? They talk about this possibility of a single heresy plaguing the church, like Gnosticism, the belief that a lesser God has tricked them into, into this, and they need to be awakened to the real knowledge But Paul will call any of this teaching an elemental or basic teaching. It is the default mode of the heart 
It is moralism. Paul is writing to a place he had never been before. He was currently under house arrest in Rome, so it's probably about 62 AD. It says at the end that he is in chains, and so he's under house arrest. Colossae is in the middle of modern-day Turkey on a tributary of the Meander River. He had sent Epaphras earlier when he was probably down in Ephesus to go be a church planner to preach the gospel. So he goes, and this is, you can read this in verse 7, and they received the word with power, meaning they were transformed. But since they were apparently some posers of Christianity, since then there's these posers of Christianity that show up and start growing up amongst them and start teaching these funny, newfangled ways. And so if you go through the book, there's certain things like angel worship, keeping festivals and keeping certain moon festivals. And so part of it's Judaism all over again. And then another part of it's like paganism. Like while they say like plausible, there's these plausible arguments or new philosophies. And he says, don't be taken away by them. Basically, the, the temptation is like, if you want to live the spiritual life, you have to do this. Try this. Follow this 12-step pattern into the new spiritual life. Then you'll be a true spiritually mature Christian. That's how you'll mature as a Christian. Follow my regimen. You know, it's like an exercise program for Christianity. If you, you know, like you want big Christian muscles, you got to follow my workout routine and my diet. Check this out. And so that's what, what seems to be plaguing this church. And so our question then comes to us today, what does real Christianity look like from beginning to end? How do I distinguish authentic, genuine Christianity and maturity in Christ from the imposters, the posers? How do I spot them? You know, including this idea that you can be good, you can be good without God. You can have the kingdom of God without actually having a king. You know, you don't really need him. It's not really spiritual. There isn't anything supernatural. Rather, all there is is you being a good person. How do we remove the mask? And this is it. This is the moralism that we've been talking about. So we are going to unmask and look at what moralism is and show it that it is most certainly a fraud. It is a fraud. And if you are following moralism, you'll find yourself to be tired exhausted from having to perform to try and keep the perfect workout routine in order that people will approve of you. And here's the scary thing. Even in Christianity, even Christianity sometimes can pose, moralism composes Christianity. That's the scary thing. And so we're going to look at that. So another thing that we will need to talk about is, is whenever we talk about moralism, especially within Christianity, we talk, people will boil down Christianity as a new form of therapy. It's just moralism again. It's just therapeutic. So here's the deal. Christianity is not simply just therapy in order to make you feel good. Okay? Christianity is not about how you can get right with God. That is moralism again. Rather, Christianity is about how God made you right with him. Or as C.S. Lewis says, Jesus didn't come to make, good people, make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. Why is moralism so appealing? It's because I can, can control it. I can make myself good. And it comes in a checklist. Moralism is really good because you can have a checklist. 
And if you've boiled down Christianity into a checklist, you're missing the power of it, the transforming power of it. You know, it poses as a helpful and a good thing, but it isn't as spiritual as you think it is. In the end, there isn't real power. And so he fights against these false teachers, Paul, and he writes this letter to help people be aware of the possibility of the subtle drift into moralism. It's never a direct attack. It's never, it's not everyone like, I mean, who's going to walk in after I preach from, from the scriptures today is going to say, hey, if you guys want real spirituality, you need to follow these 10 steps. Do you know what you're going to say to him? You're a fool. You're a weirdo. Please go away. But if it's subtle, if it's kind of day-to-day actions, if it's, you know, like, hey, this has helped me, it'll kind of just sneak in there. And then you start judging other people. You start thinking better of yourself. And you realize that moralism has snuck in So it's never this full frontal attack. So how do I know that I have the real thing? Which Christianity is it? And my thing is that all imposters, all other religions, all other philosophies, are really boils down to the same thing. Moralism. So there's three things we need to ask ourselves. Whenever we look at religions, or any religion, or anything that poses as Christianity, how did it start? How does it grow, and what is the root? How did it start, how does it grow, and what is the root? So first, in verses 3 through 8, Paul is opening and shows that he is praying for them, and he is pre- that when they pray for him, since they've, heard, he, since they've been praying for him since he's heard of their faith in Christ. And so he says, I know you have authentic faith, and let me show you. It's very similar. Here's the authentic faith. Like, how, did, how does it start? You know, how did it start? You need to know if it's authentic, right? So here's the deal. I once visited my older brother in Washington, D.C. when I was a little kid. I was like, I was in high school, so I'm not that little. But I was in high school, and so there I was, five foot two of me in Washington, D.C. My older brother leaves me in the city and says, Vince, people are going to try and sell you things and there are going to be fakes. I'm all like, what do you mean? Like trading places is going to roll up his, his arm and there's going to be like a bunch of Rolexes? And he says, yes. And I'm all like, are you got to be kidding me? This was, I was in a movie. And so there I was at the steps of the American History Museum and someone says, hey kid. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's going to happen. This is for real. And so I walk over there because I want to see this and he rolls up his arm and he says, you want to buy a Rolex? I'm like, this happens in real life. And then he opens his coat and there's more Rolexes. I'm like, how is this possible? My older brother, though, told me that they're all imposters. They're all fakes. And then after I told him about this episode, he's like, okay, well, I guess I have to show you how you know that it's a fake. You need to know how did it start. Where did this guy get this from? And so you need to know where the watch is from. It needs to have a letter of certificate, he says. It needs to have a letter of certificate. It needs to come from a certified dealer. And lastly, it needs the marks of authenticity. And what he did was he brought me into a mall. Uh, If you're under the age of 18, a mall is where they have a bunch of stores in it. 
and you go down there in arcade, you know, and then if you, you wanted to go see people, you know, like see the ladies, you'd be like, hey, show up at the mall. You're not doing anything. You're not buying anything. You're just showing up. So it's a mall. Okay? And so he brought me in there, and he's like, this is an official Rolex watch. And he said, notice the mark, the, the tall tail mark. Notice the second hand. The second hand never hesitates. That is the mark of a true Rolex. And then the funny thing is, is he shows me the Rolex on his wrist, and the second hand is pausing. He goes, I bought an imposter. <laughs> it's just fun. That's my brother. And so Paul is saying, hey, you've got you to realize that, that what is sneaking in here is not the genuine article. It is not the real deal Holyfield Christianity here. What you've got is an imposter sneaking in because what you had received was the real thing. And so he tells them about the, num- the little marks in this paragraph of the real deal. He says it has faith, hope, and love. These are the real marks of authenticity. Faith, hope, and love. And so when he talks about faith, it is a faith in Jesus Christ. It is not faith in your own works or your own ability or your, 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 how you can uh, live a good life and appear to be wonderful so that the, the scales will be put into your favor at the end. No, your faith is in Jesus Christ, that he has done it, that he is actually God himself breaking into time and space and saving you. That's what faith is, and you start it off that way. Keep it going. And then the next thing he says is, look, he says, you have love for all the saints. It means that you are not looking down your nose at those dirty, rotten little sinners over there. They haven't gotten up to the level of me, but rather that they are willing to break bread with one another, that they are willing to give of themselves to one another, and that is a mark of authenticity in this church, that they are willing to love and sacrifice for the other because they believe in a God who has come down in the person of Jesus Christ and given himself for them. And then he talks about the hope laid up for them. And this is power, not just looking toward the future, but power that is appropriated now. If you know what your future is going to be, you can appropriate that into the time and space now. If you know that in the future all things will be made right, if you know in the future that God will do the work and that he will bring you to completion by his power in the Spirit, then you are you, you, you can live in this life and you can continue to walk forward in hope. It is laid up for you. You don't have to live in the insecurity of the youth group experience. You know what the insecurity of a youth group experience is? Um, I didn't grow up going up to youth group, but I have heard about it from a lot of people. The insecurity of the youth group experience is that one time at like 14 years old, you heard the gospel. It was great. The music was just off the hook. And there were some smoke machines and you suddenly like you felt God's presence there. You felt God's presence. And so what did you do? You got up and you, you prayed. And some of this is very authentic, but the experience is not what you rely on. The experience is parts of these marks of authenticity. 
And not only that, you also then have to go on, not about the feeling or the experience, but the truth of what was conveyed to you. Notice he says that of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the word of the truth, the gospel. So it is rooted not in experience, but the truth of the declaration of good news. That is how you, it is how you know it is authentic. It didn't come from your feelings. It came from something outside of you moving you and changing you. That this truth, the gospel, it was not a step or process. And so this is versus the lie. If this is the word of the truth, the gospel, then there is the lie. And the lie is this, and it's the lie of morality, that you can be good without God. It's that you can achieve a level of goodness to make you approvable to God himself. It's that you can avoid sin. If the gospel is, Jesus, if the, gospel is the person of Jesus Christ... Then, as the author Flannery O'Connor puts, the surest way to avoid Jesus is to not sin. And so moralism teaches us how to avoid Jesus by telling us how not to sin. But here's the deal. If we're real with each other, if we look in the mirror, we know, we know better than, than trusting in our ability to not sin. So, it, you need to know that this is the letter of certificate. This is the real deal. It is the word of truth, he says. And he says, indeed, it is in you and it is indeed in the whole world. It is a letter of certificate because we see it going to every nation. It is awesome. And we see it now. We see it now. Every nation is coming to believe in the truth of Jesus Christ. It is not for a select group of people who can get their stuff together and who can somehow manage to get all this knowledge into their little brain so that they can escape the earth. No. No, it is bearing fruit, it says, in the whole world. It is increasing as it does among you. He says you have the truth. You have the real thing. That's the letter, or that is the, the letter of certificate. This is the, the real thing, the certified thing. And you received it from a certified dealer. He said you received it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. Paul says he is real. He is not the man in the front of the American History Museum with a bunch of fake Rolex watches on the inside of his trench coat. No, he has got the true thing. He has got grace. God, the grace of God in truth. Epaphras did not come peddling a new diet, didn't come peddling a new uh, five-step program. He preached Jesus for you. So then the question is then, how in the world does this grow? So in 9 through 10, he continues the prayer. And so, from the day we heard, 
I'm like, oh my gosh, you had this huge excursus. And so what does he do? He says, we, cease, we, see, we, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled. And this word may be filled is one word um, in the original language. I'm not going to go in it. Uh, it is to be filled up. It is a, akin to what we would understand as maturity. And so that you would grow in Christ with knowledge and the word he uses for knowledge is not this secret knowledge of being able to understand facts but rather he talks about it as knowledge as a as a relational knowledge it's a deep relational exchange that he that he has here of his will of God's will and in all spiritual wisdom and understanding you see what people were coming in and they were saying hey I've got this wisdom and understanding for you If you want to be a true, mature Christian, here's what I've got. Follow this program. Follow this program. And Paul is saying, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, that ain't Christianity. And so he says, his prayer is that they would mature in the knowledge of his will. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So he's talking about maturity, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So how, does you, how do you grow? Growth in Christianity happens the same way that you came into Christianity. The way you came into Christianity is that you heard the gospel. So growth in Christianity is that you grow further by understanding how deep the gospel is. And so you will understand in your life how deep your sin goes when you compare it to the person of Jesus Christ. You will understand when you have kids and when you're married or if you have roommates, you will understand how messed up you are and how needy you are. So here's the danger of moralism. Moralism comes in and says you grow by following these steps. You grow by following these steps. And do you know what that enables you to do? That enables you to look down your nose at other people who have not obtained it. And do you know what that does to a church when moralism gets in? It means that everyone else who's those dirty, rotten, little sinners out there can't come in here and hear the word of truth. That is why Paul is saying, don't let it happen amongst you. In fact, if he had a motto, I think sometimes for churches, I think Paul would have said this, you got sin, come on in. And I think that's true. Because Jesus didn't come to, sit the, to, to save those and continue growing people who had it all together. Who had a nice clean car and wonderfully functioning kids. And kids who went to the best charter school and got all A's. Or people who, who you know, had the best perfect infinity scarf of the day. And then when you ask them, like, hey, how's it going? I'm fine. Whatever. We all know better. You don't have to fake it around us. I am right now, uh, my wife is, is at a retreat, so it's me versus four little kids. <laughs> and if you have met my kids, you know that my fourth kid is like four other kids. So it's like one versus eight. I love that child. Um, 
And so here's the deal. At the end of the night, I put my kids down, and then I, I have the, this terrible, terrible uh, time going to sleep because I suffer from something called imposter syndrome. I lay in bed at night thinking that I'm a fake. I'm not good enough. I'm going to fail. I am failing. I was angry with my kids. And so I start to get deep down inside and realize, and I start getting a lot of anxiety and realizing, I'm not Christianing right, I don't think. (laughs) Things are really messed up. I'm messed up. And then that starts to become my reality. And the default mode of my heart at that sudden moment is to start trying to work harder, to put together a list But you don't grow in Christianity by following a list. You grow in Christianity by knowing the truth of Jesus Christ and what he means for you and who he is for you. He is my righteousness. I stand on him. I stand approved on the world, not because of how well I parent and the struggles of of seeing this imposter every day in the mirror, but I grow in Christ by knowing who Jesus is for me. And that I am righteous in Him. And so the growth of Christianity is that you may grow and you may be filled with the knowledge of His will. And that is true wisdom and understanding. That you may grow. I heard this story, mostly because of clickbait, thank you. That um, there was this family in China, they bought a big, wonderful, cute, furry puppy. Oh, man, it was so cute and wonderful, and they brought it home. They were like, ah, it's a Tibetan Mastiff is what they thought. And this Tibetan Mastiff, right, was starting to eat a lot, but he wouldn't eat, like, dog food. He started, like, growing, and the way he was growing, he was eating, like, a bunch of fruits and vegetables. They were like, huh, his growth is a little weird, right? And then he started this, this puppy, started to... Like, walk on its hind legs a lot. And then they realized, hey, he's getting really big too, and he's going to eat us out of house and home. We've got a small home. And then they started questioning, hey, wait a second, this might not actually be a Tibetan Mastiff. Because the way it was growing, right? The way it was growing, they're like, brought it to a vet, and the vet said, yeah, you can't keep this. It is a Tibetan bear. <laughs> what they had bought was a bear, right? Because they, it's so, here's the deal. It wasn't a certified dealer. It, wasn't, it didn't have the marks of authenticity. And then now it's growing, and the way it's grown is not eating dog food. It is eating fruit. It is standing on its hind legs, and it is way bigger than a Tibetan Mastiff would ever get. And Tibetan Mastiffs are like 120-pound dogs. And so it's bigger than that. Here, 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 here's what you need to know. In Christianity, if, if you are not growing to becoming more like Jesus Christ, kind and loving, if instead you're growing to be like, I need to make sure those people have the right Christianity, if they have the right teaching. I need to, you know, if, if you're growing in great theological truths, but you're not growing in Christ-likeness, especially love, 
You're not growing right. You're growing in the wrong thing. Theological truths and doctrine is important. That's why Paul is writing this. But if you base your standing and your growth and Christian maturity on your knowledge of theology, it's not Christian. Spiritual maturity is not measured by your knowledge of little-known theological principles. Rather, spiritual maturity, Christian spiritual maturity, is measured by your love for others. So, if you have Jesus Christ deep down into your DNA, this is your faith, then moralism will look weird. But if you feed on grace, then you will be gracious. If you feed on moralism, you're going to be a legalist, a moralist. So lastly, what is the root then? Verses 13 and 14. It says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so this is the deal. Jesus has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us. That we live a different life. That we are a different type of person. We don't follow the ways of moralism. He has transferred us. It is in Jesus we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It is not in rule following. It is not in schemes We can't confuse that. Because as soon as we do, we start pushing others out and we start condemning ourselves. Why? Because if you were to compare your righteousness and your ability versus Jesus' righteousness and ability, you are condemned every time. So it's either going to be the work of Jesus Christ for you or your own work. And I honestly look at my own work. And I need Jesus bad. I need Jesus bad. And it says that he delivered us from the domain of darkness. This domain of darkness is the continual slavery that we are all in. It is the default mode of all of our hearts. That somehow we have to get right with God. But rather, the gospel says that Jesus has made us right with God through his work, not my work, not your work. And that is how we are freed. So the root of Christianity from beginning to end is always in Jesus. It is always this word where it talks about the grace of God in truth. Real Christianity, the real deal is the grace of God in truth. And we see that picture perfect in Jesus Christ because He is the one who was put into darkness and taken outside of the city and put into a grave for us. That is the darkness we all deserved. And we see that on the cross that He exchanged His life for us. He gave us the kingdom so that we may no longer live in darkness. And that is the root, that is the basis of Christianity. 
I've said this story before, but the story of Oni Judge was a she's a slave owned by the Washingtons. And the Washingtons, uh, she clothed her. They treated her even more than just a servant or slave. She was able to go to all the parties. She was well-known. She was well-loved. But she was a slave. And then one night during a party, I think it was the governor of Rhode Island, arranged secretly to have her escape to freedom in the north. George Washington is her And so they hatch this plan. She escapes in the middle of the night with nothing, just the dress she has on. She goes up to the north, and there she will be free, and she lives as a pauper, barely scraping by, and dies penniless. And they ask her near the end of her life, Oni, if you could go back to all the extravagance and the goodness that you lived under with the, with the Washingtons, would you do it? And she says, no. Because while I was free, I was able to read and hear the gospel. And I could read my Bible freely. And there, I was more free than I could ever be with the Washingtons. Because she knew she had a Savior that loved her from beginning to end. That true faith is in Jesus Christ, y'all. And it's not in moralistic teaching. It is not in your ability. And so like Oni Judge, we offer freedom in Jesus Christ, which is more than extravagance or riches or being a well-functioning adult can possibly ever give you. Let us pray. Almighty God, you are good, and you are loving, and you have set before us in Jesus Christ that which is more powerful and beautiful than moralism could ever give us, more than rule-following could ever afford. We have your smile. We have your acceptance. We could sit at your table in freedom. Because from beginning to end, Christianity is not about how well we could live up to a standard. But it is how Jesus, the great standard of all things, has come and become our justification, our validation in the world. So, Lord, as we now feast upon our faith made visible, Jesus Christ, in bread and wine, I pray that we would be transformed in our hearts and that we would be able to make you known to the world, that they would not see moralism in us, that the world would see the goodness of Jesus Christ displayed in truth and love to all people. We ask and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.